The Start On Demand. On demand. It is going to be an intense couple of days weather-wise in Manitoba. We got some details on what we can expect from Environment Canada. We spoke to listener Jean, who told us how she got the vaccine and just how emotional an experience it was. We had our weekly visit with Bob Irving, and we talked about precious family heirlooms. Greg got his hands on something that goes back decades in his family. It's very important to him. Do you have something like that? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Monday, March 29th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us on a Monday morning. We've got wild weather to talk about we have spring break to talk about we have a beautiful full moon to discuss but gmac before we do any of that um sometimes i i guess the best comparison i could make is our show is on from six until ten but what if they said nah you know we're gonna make it go until three (laughs) that's the afternoon yeah (laughs) Because that's sort of what happened over the weekend, because this was the longest hockey game in NCAA hockey tournament history. I hadn't put it in those terms in my own mind, but you're right. Fargo, North Dakota, we're going to set the scene for you. Saturday night, winner of the game between the University of North Dakota and the two-time defending national champion University of Minnesota Duluth go to the Frozen Four in Pittsburgh. Here's our own Leah Hextall with the call. Here comes Minnesota Duluth. They bring it on in. And he scores! Luke Milmock inserted into the lineup. The freshman has ended it here in the eighth overtime. The Maroon Sweaters are celebrating. Eight full, eight periods to be exact, 142 minutes, 13 seconds of playing time, four full overtime periods, 213 into the fifth. The Bulldogs win an incredible night for them, but what a night for Leah Hextall, Loren. Yeah, it brings me such joy to hear her. And it was just over a year ago that she and other broadcasters uh, created that all-female, all-woman broadcast for the NHL, which became a first, where everyone from, you know, the camera person to the grip to the audio guy uh, was female. And so Leah called that game for the, I think it was the Golden Knights and the Flames, I want to say, about a year ago. But she's been doing play-by-play for ages, particularly with university hockey. And I loved listening to her uh, over the weekend, and she must have been exhausted. We've got Bob Irving joining us at 8.37 this morning for his usual weekly hit. But, man, when those games go long, you know, there's only so many There's only so many ways to skin a cat. Is that the expression? I don't even know why I said that this morning. <laughs> but you, you run out of things to say at some point, right? And you got to keep going and you got to keep the energy going. And it was just fabulous to hear her make that call. And, and kudos to her. What a, what a, what a game to, to be able to call. No kidding. And, of course, we don't have overtime like that in the CFL. But 
we had a couple of very, very long (laughs) rain delays. That's right. Over the last several years for the Blue Bombers. So it'll be interesting to get Bob Irving's take on that. Uh, Yeah, an incredible night uh, for our own Leah Hextall, Brett. So Hextall and Hockey heard Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6.55 a.m. as part of our daily Jets update. And you hear from Leah throughout the week on 680 CJOB covering the Winnipeg Jets. And kudos to her for that amazing effort over the weekend. It's going to be an effort to deal with the roller coaster. I know we've called it a roller coaster, but I can't think of any better term because every time I've looked at the forecast for the next couple of days over the last few days, Loren, I just can't get over what I'm seeing, the wild swings we are about to experience. You ha- you almost have to stop looking. I just had the kids on Friday come home, and they must have heard, and they said, it's supposed to be like 20 degrees on Monday. Can we start wearing shorts? And I said, yeah, <laughs> if it gets to 20, sure you can, like if that's what makes you excited. And then a couple hours later, I looked at the forecast, and I thought, nope. And then by <laughs> yesterday, there was a special weather statement in effect. And in fact, I just got off the phone with Environment Canada. They're going to join us just after 6.15. And I said, Mike, I don't really like what I'm seeing here. He's like, well, I can come on and say something else if you want, but it <laughs> be true. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it, we've got snow warnings, uh, we've got um, wind gust warnings, 60 to 80 kilometers uh, later tonight for Winnipeg and then other parts of the province, it's even worse. And I don't know if I've seen a snow total that I even want to mention, but wind chill is also a possibility, Greg. Well, you know what? Just take a deep breath and just bear down for the next 48 hours because you can tell the boys that if things hold true to form and this Environment Canada forecast for this coming Friday, for Good Friday, holds true, 20 degrees and sunshine. So we've just got to get through until Thursday and uh, things will be all right. I think spring officially arrives, uh, unofficially officially, on Thursday. It looks like nothing but uh, sunshine and warm temperatures ahead to start April. But the the next 48 hours are going to be goofy. Could we call it that, Brett? (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where their shorts are anyway, so it's kind of saved me from digging through (laughs) closets, Brett. But yeah, this is... um Yuck. There's no other word for it. You have until Thursday night to find the shorts based on the <laughs> forecast, McNabb. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned spring. It is, it's spring break for the kids, right? It is. They are uh, already making plans. They've asked for all-nighters. They've asked oh, for video games not all just day your, long. Not just your house? <laughs> oh, no. That was the request Friday. And I actually, to be honest, I agreed to it Friday night. You did? Because I thought, I thought they'd fall asleep by... One, because they'd be so tired. So I went to bed, and at four in the morning, my youngest bursts in the room and yells out, Chicken nuggets! Guess who's still awake? <laughs> really? No I swear way. you. I guess they fell asleep. We know they fell asleep you know, at some point. But then he woke up and realized he was the only one in the house awake and just had to tell someone. Like, he was just so excited. And I don't know why he had to yell out chicken nuggets, but that's now the saying in our house whenever we're excited. Chicken nuggets! Jets just scored! (laughs) Holy smoke. See, now, last night we had a little bit of a negotiation, shall we say, uh, with the boys about bedtimes. And Brendan's opening salvo, his opening offer was, I don't know, 3 o'clock? For a bedtime, three in the morning. Yeah, why not? I believe it's that's called. Break. I believe that's called the door in the face technique. <laughs> he was serious. He thought, oh, "Come on, lots of my friends stay up that late." I'm like, oh, Jesus. I had to, I got that. Give me and I phone said, numbers. Name me one. Yes. Name me one friend that gets this. I know they slept for the most part, but at some point he woke up, and so in his mind it was oh, four a.m. Nice. Wow. <laughs>
<laughs> if he's if we if he were to stay up until three a.m., what time would he get up? Oh, that's the thing. At the, at their age, they still wake up like pretty much not much long after normal time. So say normal time seven thirty. It's eight thirty. Like it's not like they're sleeping until noon. At at Greg's kids' age, I would argue they might sleep past noon. Oh yes, like, like as teenagers. <laughs> but my boys are. You know, eight and ten. So no, they shouldn't be staying up that late anyway. It was just a bad parenting call by me. I just thought I, I thought I had them beat that they'd just pass out. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, when you look at the weather warning map for Manitoba, virtually the entire province is under some sort of a warning or watch. Let's bring in Environment Canada's Mike Russo joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mike, I guess let's start with the wind. How strong is the wind going to be over the next uh, couple of days? It's going to be uh, pretty strong. Uh, We do have a system right now that is uh, gradually working its way across central Saskatchewan into central Manitoba. And uh, a pair of cold fronts that are kind of tied to that system. And uh, more so when the second cold front goes through, uh, as far as the city's concerned, it'll be sometime overnight tonight. Uh, The strong winds kind of picking up and behind there. We are looking at winds, wind gusts up to about 80, 90 kilometers per hour in behind that cold front. Mike, uh, this type of weather is something I associate with my time in in Calgary. This is very Alberta-like weather for this time of the year. What's the deal? What's going on here? How are we getting all this uh, up and down? You know, it's funny because I look at the forecast and you get dizzy looking at it. You know, we're looking at a a daytime high today that is, uh, you know, it's going to be close to 20 degrees. And then tomorrow we're looking at minus 8 for a daytime high. Uh, The good news is it's going to be, you know, recuperating back to uh, well above normal temperatures by the end of the week. But, uh, you know, it's not unusual this time of the year to see uh, large swings in temperature. Uh, It's the transition seasons, whether it's fall or spring. Uh, it's uh, it's not uncommon to see this. So we've got wind, we've got those colder temperatures on the way, as you mentioned, with that big swing, Mike. What are we thinking for snow totals, or is that getting hard to predict as it swings back and forth, this forecast? Yeah, it shouldn't. As far as the city's concerned, uh, even for uh, areas, uh, let's say, south of the Trans-Canada Highway, uh, amounts shouldn't be that high. So we're looking in general maybe uh, two, two to four uh, centimeters occurring uh, tonight may pick up another couple uh, tomorrow. The heaviest snow should actually be falling uh, over central Manitoba as well as the parklands area. So uh, if you're heading up towards Dauphin, Swan River, the Paw, Flin Flon, uh, Norway House, Island Lake, those areas uh, will see the more significant snow. And there is a uh, winter storm warning in effect for those areas. A uh, combination of uh, heavy snow, anywhere from about 10 to 15 centimeters, along with these uh, stronger winds creating some blowing snow in those areas. Now, the long weekend looks great in terms of the temperature. Are we expecting things to cool off again after that? Yeah, it's uh, normal for this time of the year. You're looking at uh, daytime highs of around plus 5 degrees. Uh, getting into the weekend, we're still looking at uh, double-digit highs. Our forecast right now is saying about plus 12 degrees. So uh, that's pretty much staying on course. And a lot of the other models, uh, guidance products, are also suggesting uh, relatively mild temperatures for that time period. Meteorologist Mike Russo with Environment Canada joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mike, thank you very much for this. Much appreciated. Not a problem. Take care. 
Greg, I understand over the weekend you got yet another reason, another excuse not to put automobiles inside your garage. I'm afraid, concerned, or perhaps excited at the notion I may become one of those people that spends a lot of time in my garage. I was actually scoping it out, Loren, where I could hang a TV in there because mm-hmm. I've you done probably a co- already have three in storage. So. <laughs> I, I don't, but it's something that uh, I never imagined that I might be someone who, uh, where could I put a heater and where could I put a TV? Because uh, my relationship with my gra- garage has done a 180 over the last year. And uh, on the weekend, I patriated my grandfather's workbench. My grandfather was a master carpenter, and he actually built sets at the CBC, if I'm allowed to say that, and did incredible work, built his own furniture, and uh, was just absolutely was magical with uh, woodworking. And so uh, growing up, I spent a lot of time helping my grandpa on a variety of different projects. And so he passed away almost 10 years ago, and that bench has been in the basement at his house for 40 years. Long story short, it's now in my garage. He built it by hand himself, built it to be disassembled, and uh, had to think like him a little bit to take it apart, but we got it all figured out, and it fit perfectly at my house as well as it did in his. And so it was Saturday night, and I was putting some of my tools away, And I caught a glimpse of some paint splatters, and I'm getting choked up just thinking about it, and also some dimensions he'd scribbled on the uh, one edge of the bench uh, on the wood, and I don't know if it's dimensions of the bench itself, but... um, it was uh, very overwhelming to have his presence just so vivid there and, and just imagining what projects he would have painted that color and then to, to see his handwriting was uh, something special. So it had me thinking and wondering what family heirlooms do you have in your possession, things that you treasure or maybe things that you have eye, your eyes on uh, when that uh, time comes, either from your grandparents or your parents uh, that you'd like to make sure don't leave the family. So let's go around the horn here. Cam Poitras is here, Jeff Braun, Jeff Fortier, and of course you at 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text. Of course, we've got stuff to give away in conjunction with this. We'll do that at 915. $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. Cam Poitras, start us off. Uh, well, I'm happy. I, I, I did a lot of moving around when I was younger. And I, I'm so glad that I, nobody gave me anything because I probably would have gotten rid of it at some point because I didn't want to travel with it. So I, I didn't really collect, collect things when I was, you know, in sort of my younger years. But now I'm starting to get stuff. Um, like, I'm, gl- I'm glad my uncle did not give me my grandma's drugela, which is like a, a Hutterite um, sort of a, like a desk or something like that for my grandma because my rabbit would have destroyed it. Um, but uh, I have a, now I have and I, and I make sure I put it in the basement so that my rabbit Reg can't uh, chew on the legs. But it's a 1933 um, uh, table uh, that I use kind of as my writing, where I do my writing, where I do my... With your fountain pen? Use my fountain pen, absolutely. And I also do my painting on this uh, on this desk. It's a 1933 uh, table from Barrickman Colony, where my where, around the time my grandparents were born. So my mom recently gave that to me. So that's wow. that's really, really special. So no it's one of my uh, prized possessions. Neat. That's yeah. pretty cool. Forte, you got anything? I do actually. It's uh, my both my uh, grandparents. Uh, they had this mirror that they kept in their house, and every year, you know, for Easter, Christmas, or all the family gatherings, you'd go to their house and you'd see this mirror. And so, when I moved on my own, uh, my grandparents are now gone, unfortunately. But uh, 
I, you know, I had to space my wall, and I was like, well, you know what? I always want to have a mirror there, and it, yeah, my parents said, hey, we have your grandmother's mirror, so uh, yeah, having that up in my apartment just, you know, means a lot, and you look at it, and you can see, you can see my grandparents, and it, it's, uh, it's really, really cool. It's really nice to have. Awesome. Neat. That's great, man. This is good stuff, you guys. What about you, Jeff Braun? Yeah, I got the opposite story. Uh, I, I do have a few things that... <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> But I had this dresser when I was a kid, this blue dresser, and it had like a flip-top lid thing on top and sort of turned into a desk. And my dad had told me it was his dresser when he was a kid. So as I grew older, I kept it with me. I moved with it a bunch of times. And I actually got a better dresser, a second dresser that I actually used for my clothes because the drawers in the old blue dresser gave way and nothing would, it wouldn't hold anything. But I kept it because it had meaning to our family. And a couple of years ago, my f- folks were visiting and my dad said, Oh, you still have that old blue dresser? And I said, well, yeah, you said it was yours when you were a, you were a kid. And he said, no, we bought it for you when you were four at <laughs> Zeller's. And <laughs> the next giveaway weekend, it hit the curb, and I have it's been gone for a couple of years, ever since then. I just, oh, goodbye. You thought you had Taking up too much space. Oh, you did. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Jeff tries to be sentimental and just gets foiled. Oh, that's great. Loren McNabb. Well, I'm glad Jeff went before me because I'm sort of on the same vein. I do have things for sure that I've received over the years uh, from grandparents that passed away, a barometer for my grandfather that he used to have in his house, Uh, my grandmother's rosary, just a piece of it. We each had a piece of it because she used to say her prayers daily. And so those are really special to me. But upstairs in my living room right now, which I look at every day and want to burn or throw out or take to the dump, is this grandfather clock. And anyone who comes into my home, not that that's happened in the last year, but prior to that would say, oh, wow, that must be a family heirloom. And I say, no. In the 90s, my grandmother bought a organ. And with that organ became this free grandfather clock. <laughs> and so my parents have this in their, had their at the farm for you know, a couple decades. And then they sell the farm. And someone says, you can't let that clock go. And then they all look at me because nobody else lives in Manitoba. And so now I just have this stupid clock that does not work, that sits in my living room, that I stare at every day and think, I do think, hi, Grandma. And then I think, thanks a lot, Grandma. (laughs) And it's just sitting there. And I've actually texted my family a couple times in the last year to say, can I get rid of this? Like, am I going to get yelled at if if this is gone the next time you're all back? And nobody replies. So... I just feel compelled to keep this darn thing. Like, I hate it. Burn it. <laughs> that is a whole other conversation about what people are hanging on to until someone <laughs> up the chain in their family passes away and is like, okay, but they're I gone. Now we can get rid of all it. this stuff. Nobody wants this. I, I'm, I'm sure I can get rid of it. And I feel terrible saying that. But like I said, I have things from her that mean something to me. This does not. But I have that <laughs> guilt, like this just tremendous guilt. Even I'm sweating while I talk you're, about it you're, right now. you're just waiting for one person to say, throw it out. Then you're like, all right, see you later. I, I was permission. hoping the dog would knock it over or something. <laughs> then it would just be in pieces and I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. Text us at 204-780-6868. Like Andre, who says, I have the rock chair my grandfather built for my grandmother when my dad was born in 1923. Grandma ended up having nine children, all of whom were rocked in that chair.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are asking you to text us about precious items from your family's history that might be in your possession, whether they're heirlooms or just something that is special to you. Text us, 204-780-6868, for a chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza, which we'll give away just after 9.15. Kim says, I received a suitcase from my grandmother, and inside were some of my grandfather's things, including letters he wrote to his grandfather, items from when he was in World War II, and pictures from the West Kildonan, West Kildonan Ambulance Corps. He was also part of a medical corps during a Winnipeg royal visit. I love looking at those things. Imagine opening that suitcase, Loren, and finding that stuff in there. Oh, that's the kind of treasure that that you want to keep with you forever. And I think that the, what's coming in from our listeners right now, too, is it's kind of sometimes the small things, right, Greg? It's not a, a big important expensive heirloom or piece of jewelry it's kind of the little mementos along the way or the letters or someone texted about recipes you know the handwriting that you can look back and see your mom's handwriting or your grandfather's uh, handwriting or a card that's the kind of stuff that really sticks with you well i mentioned the fact that i had done some work uh, with my grandfather over the years at that workbench that i got my finally got into my house this weekend and uh, one summer, I built a garage with my grandpa, and another summer, we did uh, some drywalling. Anyway, he had this ledger book where he kept track of my hours, and I came across that book, and so that's uh, in my possession as well, and it is so neat to have dates and the amount of time we actually spent together. You know, he took off an hour for lunch every day, <laughs> but he uh, always paid me fairly. It was just, uh, it's just something special for sure. Loren, uh, what are we doing in our next segment as it pertains to the vaccine? Well, we've been asking listeners about their experience, particularly because we know there was that backlog at the RBC Convention Centre Friday, with some saying it extended into the weekend. And so we know there's been some frustration in recent days with the vaccine. But there's also been other emotions at play. And one of our listeners texted in to say that when she received her vaccine just recently, she basically burst into tears. The relief she felt was so great in that moment that she couldn't contain herself. And so we've asked her to join us in the next 10 minutes and and share that experience and talk us through the process of not just getting that vaccine, but what was going through her head. Because I know as much as there's been maybe anger or frustration or questions, there has been another emotion at play for many Manitobans. And so so we're going to hear from Jean next. Another 3.3 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine are due to arrive in Canada, Greg, over the next few days. And as supply ramps up, many of you want to make sure that system is ready. So that's what we're talking about in our next segment. But would you run a business in Winnipeg in 2021 with a typewriter? That was, I actually saw somebody over the weekend. Uh, they were excited. They had they got themselves like a digital typewriter. Like it looked like a, an old analog typewriter, but it was digital. But anyway, would you run a business with a typewriter? That was the question posed to us in an email sent a few days ago. As the message read, using old technology is the way Manitobans with diabetes feel every time they prick their finger to test their blood sugar, an outdated method that dates back to the 1980s. While there is more a more modern method, it's not currently covered by Manitoba Health. Yeah, and that more modern method that you mentioned, Greg, is called continuous glucose monitoring. And it's a device that would basically 
watch your levels around the clock, meaning you wouldn't have to constantly prick your finger or do that prick test. Diabetes Canada recommends that provincial governments cover the costs of this system, but Manitoba does not, and it actually isn't the only province refusing to pick up the cost to date. Dr. Kevin Saunders is a family doctor at Winnipeg's River Grove Medical Clinic, and he joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Saunders. Good morning. Thank you so for how, having me. Well, thanks for walking us through this, because I'm, first of all, I'm curious if you can sort of set the table for us. How much of an issue is this for Manitoba? How many Manitobans do we have that might be going through this daily with these constant prick tests? Well, I mean, the prevalence of diabetes in Manitoba is running around 10%. So one in 10 Manitobans has diabetes. And where the continuous glucose monitoring systems are most useful is in the portion of those diabetics that actually are on insulin. And that would be about 10% of all of our uh, diabetic population. How does it work right now for them when it comes to monitoring their blood sugar levels? Uh, It's not great. They have to uh, use a prick device, prick their fingertip, get a drop of blood, put that drop of blood onto the monitor, get a reading from the monitor, and then clean their monitor. Uh, The new flash systems, basically continuous uh, data, basically you put a sensor on, And through that sensor, the reader or meter continuously monitors what your blood sugar is doing over the course of the day. Dr. Saunders, just some quick math there. You said 10% of the population suffers with diabetes, and 10% of that would be uh, using the prick test currently or could benefit from this new technology. So according to my math, that's about 1,400, 1,500 Manitobans. Does that sound about right? Um, yeah, and the 10% that are on insulin is basically a guesstimate okay. on my part. Um, I don't know that we have that data on exactly how many patients are on insulin in Manitoba, but certainly the patients that are on insulin benefit from these new monitors the most. Not to say that any diabetic can get a huge amount of information about their blood sugar by using this new technology. So what's the cost? I'm assuming the cost might be the holdup here. What does it cost to do those prick tests daily versus the cost of that continuous system? Well, that's what it comes down to because the cost of the uh, prick test, the strips themselves for the machine, they generally run around a dollar per test. And the cost of the uh, continuous monitors typically run you in the neighborhood of 175 to $200 a month. So the cost is certainly more substantial, um, but the ability to do the testing multiple times a day, uh, the ability to set alarms in these new monitors where the monitor will actually tell you, <laughs> it will tell you if your sugar is too low or too high. Uh, even while you're sleeping, it will be monitoring what your sugar is doing if it's in proximity um, versus having to poke your fingers four or five, six times a day, um, the the benefit for patients is huge. Well, and it, it seems to me that there's the potential as well for a long-term financial benefit. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, does it not create the possibility that with this constant test, it could end up saving money in the long run in terms of uh, healthcare treatments? Oh, for sure. Um, patients become much more aware, much more quickly exactly how their sugar is changing throughout the day and the amount of buy-in that we get from our diabetic patients when they wear the continuous monitors is huge. 
Um, I'm medical director of the Wellness Institute. We do offer a free diabetes education program, and we put the continuous monitors on most of our new diagnosed patients and let them wear it for two weeks, and patients come back and go, wow. Um, Previously, I might have finger-pricked my self once every couple of days. I kind of sort of knew what my sugar was doing. When I wore that monitor and I was actually looking at my sugar six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a day, I really now understand what you were telling me about my meals, my portion sizes, how high my sugar could be swinging at times. So if you're doing that test uh, three or four or five times a day, and not everybody is going to do that, clearly, based on your, just your, your last statement here, Dr. Saunders, but if you are, five bucks a day is 130 bucks a month. I would say that's a push, uh, to use a gambling phrase, in terms of financial uh, cost here. It's, it's fairly close here, and Brett's question is an outstanding one with regards to the money that it would save the healthcare system, not to mention the quality of life that people with diabetes would be. Uh, enjoying with this continuous monitoring? Is there another province that is actually covering the cost of this? Uh, Ontario, I believe, is covering. There's, there's um, Most of the provinces are moving in that direction. I think we're one of only about three or four provinces that don't cover it. Hmm. And again, especially for insulin-dependent diabetics, so we have a lot of diabetics that are early, they're on diet only, um, they may be on a pill such as metformin. The intensity of the amount of checking that they need to do is much less. And But certainly for any patients that are on insulin, they are checking sugars regularly. There should be absolutely no argument that patients who are on insulin in 2021 should have continuous monitors that they're using. Dr. Kevin Saunders is a family doctor at Winnipeg's River Grove Medical Clinic, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dr. Saunders, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, another 3.3 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine are due to arrive in Canada over the next few days. And as supply ramps up, many of you want to make sure the system is ready. Were issues at the RBC Convention Center Supersite Friday with a glitch in the scheduling software resulting in staffing shortages. And some of you say the backlog continued into the weekend with one of our listeners texting, there were lineups Saturday as well. I arrived at 4.40 p.m. for a 5 p.m. appointment and did not get seated for vaccination until 6 o'clock. On the other hand, listener Brian wrote to say he was at the front door at 125 and out the door by 225. He says things went very smoothly and wishes to thank all the staff involved, Loren. Of course, we'll continue to monitor this because we know making sure this goes as smoothly and efficiently as possible is key. And the last thing we want, or health officials I'm sure want, is someone getting to that appointment, seeing those long lineups, and then maybe walking away because they're so frustrated by the process. So we will continue to push the province on this issue because we know there's also a lot of emotions connected to this right now. And that might include, for some of you, relief. Listener Jean texted in to say because of her age and her asthma, she qualified for the AstraZeneca vaccine. And she joins us now to tell us how she felt when she finally got it. Good morning, Jean. 
Good morning, MM&M. How are you today? We are very well, Jean, and, and thank you for texting in because I, I think that's an emotion, that relief you felt is something many people might be feeling at this time. Uh, tell us about when you sat down and just walk us through the whole process. Well, it, you know what? I might start all over again just repeating the story, but I was extremely relieved and considered myself very fortunate to get an appointment. Um, and so went 15 minutes ahead of my appointment time and was directed to have a seat while I waited for the pharmacist. And as I sat there, all of a sudden I started crying and I couldn't stop. And I realized that I was overcome with a huge sense of relief, thinking about the fact that I was about to have a life-altering experience with my vaccine. And when the pharmacist came out, I was apologizing. And she said, you are not the first person to be crying in that chair. And when I got that, it's amazing how a simple little poke in the arm can have such a huge impact on your life. Now, a lot's been on your mind as you waited for this vaccine, including your mom. Yeah. um, Now you're going to get me. Um, uh, My mom worked for the federal government, as do I, and I had retirement plans for this year. My mom got sick before she retired and never got to enjoy her retirement. And that weighed on me a lot in the last year and despite the fact that he didn't say it I know it weighed on my husband Um, that is history in my family going to repeat itself and when I got that shot I realized no it wasn't at least not with me. First of all Jean thanks so much for trusting us with your story and sharing it with us not only via text but agreeing to come on the air with us. We appreciate you very much. And this story obviously is being played out over and over again, as is this whole notion. I think you touched on something else that many of us are dealing with right now, maybe some re-evaluation of future plans uh, during this pandemic and, and what the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years might look f- for us and, and maybe making some different decisions that you might not have made a year or two ago. Is that fair to say? Um, You know, I I was having trouble pinning down a date and making the actual commitment. And my husband and I talked and realized, okay, if I put it off till November, um, I'm not one to want to go out quietly out the back door after 31 years with the same employer. I want to be able to have a party and celebrate. So I'm kind of hoping that by pushing it to November that we can and that um, my in-laws are 91 and 92, still live in their home in Mississauga. They just got their shots a little while ago. Um, We want to see them. And so we're also hoping that by then it will be safe to travel. Um, We worry that airfares are going to skyrocket once travel restrictions are taken off. So we took a chance and booked a flight for later this year in hopes that we can go and see them. So, yeah, really looking forward to um, a little bit of, um, I think everybody's craving normal. And on that note, I would really like to thank the three of you because over the past year, while we've all been craving normal, we've all woken up to the three of you. And for a brief few moments in the morning, we've felt normal before it dawned on us that once we get past that initial wake up and hearing your voices and following your stories, that it isn't normal. So. 
thank you to the three of you for giving us all a little bit of normal that we've been craving. Well, thank you, Gene, for joining us this morning. Thanks for telling us your story. And thank you for those kind words. They, they mean more than we could possibly express. Have a great day. I also want to read this text uh, from a listener talking about heirlooms, precious family items that are now in your possession after Greg got his granddad's workbench into his garage after decades of being in his grandpa's basement. And this text reads, Back in 1973, I received a gift from my father that I still possess and cherish. It was a simple book on the history of comic books, something I didn't really appreciate until my later years. Growing up, my family was always just getting by. Any money my parents had was used for essentials, food, mortgage, utilities, etc. The only time we received presents was on birthdays and Christmas. One day, though, out of the blue, my dad came home from work and gave me this book. He's since passed years ago, but I will always have this book to remember him and the monetary sacrifice he made just to make me happy. Thank you for that text. Keep them coming. 204-780-6868. Santa Lucia Pizza gift card. $20 worth up for grabs just after 9.15. In the meantime, at this time of Mondays, we are joined by... Bob Irving to discuss the weekend's happenings in sport. Lots to discuss. Greg with the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah, we don't have to get Bob's advice on how to free the Ever Given anymore. That was half the segment. So what are we going to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. Uh, I got ahead of myself this morning, Bob, thinking that the Masters was being played in Augusta, Georgia this week, Bob, but it's next week. But I am seeing the Masters in the headlines this morning. At least one group trying to encourage PGA players to boycott the event because of newly passed voting laws. Some would say uh, voter suppression laws in the state of Georgia. What are the chances anything comes out of that? Oh, I think they're pretty slim. There's also a move afoot to uh, not allow Atlanta to host the baseball all-star game because of the voter suppression laws in Georgia. And I followed that I guess like a lot of people have, where you, if somebody's waiting in line to vote, you can't even give them a drink of water. I mean, it's like, are we talking about Russia or China here, where, you know, people don't have those freedoms? It's kind of unbelievable. But no, the Masters will go on. It's the Valero Texas Open this week, and then next week it is the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. They're going to apparently allow some spectators, or patrons as they call them, in Augusta, Georgia, at the Masters uh, to attend the event. How many? We don't know for sure. You know, speaking about golf, too, it was a big day yesterday for uh, a B.C. golfer. Adam Svensson won the event on the Corn Ferry Tour. That's kind of the minor leagues of the PGA Tour. He won $108,000, which is pretty significant to, to begin with. But the key thing there is he's now on the verge of getting his PGA Tour card back. And for golfers, a PGA Tour card is gold. So a big day yesterday for Adam Svensson of Surrey, B.C. Did you say the Corn Ferry Tour? Corn Ferry, K-O-R-N-F-E-R-R-Y. Apparently they're an insurance company, I believe. Like, there's been different sponsors of this minor league tour in professional golf. It was the Nike Tour for a while. It's had a lot of different names. So Corn Ferry took it over. Uh, And it's an odd, (laughs) when I first heard it, I didn't even know what it was. But I looked into it. And uh, so they sponsor that tour and put up a lot of the prize money. And uh, I guess their belief is that the exposure they get from uh, the title of the tour is uh, 
you know, is a reward for them putting up the money and sponsoring the tour. Clearly working. Yeah, we just gave them some ad. I thought it was a food. I was Googling Corn Fairy because I thought there was some sort of food I was missing out on, Bob. So I apologize for taking us down the road. Let's talk Jets if we can. Uh, They won their third consecutive game on Friday in Calgary, but then they fell to the Flames Saturday night. It was their fourth game in six nights. So much hockey being played in the last week. And then tonight, of course, is the rubber match. Uh, with game three set with Calgary. And for the seven-game road trip, the Jets are 3-3 three and three in mm-hmm. the first six games. So they need to win tonight to make this road trip a success. I guess is that how we put it in the success column? Yeah, I think that's the way they look at it. Although if they lose tonight, they're still in a good position in the North Division standings. The team that's desperate to, for a win tonight is Calgary. They've really struggled, and they're nine points behind the Jets in the standing so if the jets win tonight it's 11 up on calgary and that would pretty much bury the flames but i think overall it's been a successful trip for them they play their next four at home after tonight they have 21 games left in this 56 game season they're just two points behind first place toronto in the north division but the standings are so tight there that a couple of wins here a couple of losses there uh, mixes everything up. But Loren Brassois played goal on Saturday against Calgary, and he had a tough night. Uh, they lost 4-2. Uh, I thought they played overall pretty well, but Brassois let in a couple of weak goals. And uh, So we'll see what happens tonight. If the Jets win this game tonight, as I say, they've really put the Calgary Flames in a position where the playoffs are, are kind of a pipe dream. Now, the NBA trade deadline came and went last week. The Raptors did not trade Kyle Lowry, as many expected. Consensus seems to be the Raptors just wanted too much for their superstar. Asset management is a huge factor for teams being contenders year after year in any sport. Are teams that don't get at least a draft choice for players who may leave in free agency making a mistake? Well, that's one of the age-old questions, Brett, in sport is, you know, do you hang on to a player and try to re-sign him if he's eligible to become a free agent, or do you trade him and try to get a you know a good return before it's too late? And it's the kind of thing that gives general managers headaches. It really does. Uh, Kevin Day off of the Winnipeg Jets, and every GM in the NHL will be in a position like that. So I don't know. If you do lose a player to free agency, you'll be second-guessed, and people will say, well, why didn't you trade him when you had a chance to get something for him? You, know, you might have thought you had a chance to re-sign him. That's why you didn't trade him. Or... Your team has a chance to have success. As far as the Raptors are concerned, it doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, but Kyle Lowry's been the, he's kind of the face of the franchise and has been for a number of years, and, and they opted to keep him. So those are they're difficult calls for general managers to make, and they all have to make them at some time or another. Yeah, Glenn Sather, I thought, was always a master. I hate to give Glenn Sather credit for doing anything well, Bob, but I thought he always did that incredibly well, uh, moving out his aging or uh, diminishing assets to get younger players. It didn't really necessarily turn out to to work always for Sather, but I thought the the thought was the right way to go. And then you look in Vancouver where the Sedin twins obviously had such an incredible career there and the fact that they didn't move the Sedin twins as still being second-guessed uh, years later in Vancouver. Well, sure. And so then the question with the Sedin twins, the feeling there was that they should just finish their their careers in Vancouver. There's just no way they should be traded because they meant so much to that franchise. I know with Milt Stiegel and the Bombers here, uh, the Bombers said, we're never going to trade Milt Stiegel. We're just not to. Even when he got older in his career and wasn't quite as productive, this is a player who should.
could to finish his career with his team. And sometimes you, you make that decision at the expense of perhaps getting an asset back, but it becomes a, more of an emotional decision, I think, than, than anything else. Uh, the good GMs, though, do move players along before you know, they've lost their value. And again, that's a, that's a tricky position to be in because you're never quite sure when a player is going to start to deteriorate in terms of his performance. So it's one of those things that makes being a general manager very, very challenging. Aren't you guys going to ask me about March Madness and the Gonzaga Bulldogs? They beat Creighton. They're now 29-0. and 0. They're into the Elite Eight of March Madness, and I'm all over it. What about the I – th- I saw the Oregon State Beavers also uh, moved on. Did they not? Uh, yeah, I think so. But I know Gonzaga <laughs> – I know Gonzaga beat Creighton. I read a story – I think I told you last week, I read a story in Sports Illustrated about Gonzaga. This team, uh, Gonzaga, they've had the same coach for over 20 years, and they've been close to winning it all for many, many different years, and they've always come up short, and there's a huge focus on them this year in March Madness to see whether or not they can take that final step and finally win the NCAA men's title. So, you know, I think that story in itself creates a, a certain interest in how Gonzaga is doing, and when they get down to the championship game, I'll probably watch just because I'm curious to see if Gonzaga can, you know, win that championship that has eluded them for so long bob henceforth uh when you're joining this program please refer to the gonzaga bulldogs by their proper name as dubbed by as dubbed by loren mcnab gargonzola please and thank you (laughs) okay i'll work on that hey one final thing too you know what starts on thursday of this week you talked about the masters earlier greg you know what starts on thursday Major League Baseball regular season oh my begins. Word. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, the opener of the season on Thursday. Look at that. Yeah, is that a sure sign of summer? Hey, Bob, could you imagine calling a game that went uh, five overtime periods? Uh, well, no. I, I, I guess uh, I can imagine it, but I, I don't. That would be a challenge. It really would. You, <laughs> I don't know if your uh, vocal cords would wear out or not. What about what would you do for bathroom breaks in that? I guess it would, you'd be running during the intermissions. Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, I, at football games, a halftime for me is a chance to, you know, if there's something like that that needs to be done, halftime is when you do it. But, uh, yeah, I've never been in a situation like that. I think Didn't Leah Hextall face that on the, on the weekend uh, with the five OTs? Yeah, that would be, uh, that'd be kind of fun, but it would be challenging for sure. Right now, we just wanted to do some quick, uh, well, I say we. Yeah, I know Greg, it's not a we. Don't yeah. we me into this one. Greg <laughs> wants to do some Suez Canal math. Now, you know, for somebody who, uh, <laughs> who wants to, likes to be a broadcaster, I think you really maybe should have gone into some sort of mathematician field, Greg, because I know you and num- you like numbers. Sometimes. And I even called you right. I called you on Twitter this morning. <laughs> you put out you put out actually some really handy stats. Yeah, maybe. But my my lone response was simply <laughs> using a, a gif of Homer Simpson shouting nerd. If I'd known what epidemiology was when I was in school, I might have uh, pursued that because I do like numbers. But remember what they told you at Red River: localize the story. It's always a key component to any story. Oh, that's what you were trying to... Okay, in the group text, you said localize the stairs. Yeah. Oh, well, I can't type. So I didn't... So. <laughs> there's been a lot of... This, and then and just now you said, I'd like to go over some of this math, and Brett, Brett can call me small-town salute on air. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're... 
It's, it's, uh, the autocorrect here is not helping you out this morning, it's buddy. But yes, a ship is free. But let's yes. go over the, the canal math you did, and you compared it to a pretty big infrastructure project here in Winnipeg. That's right, the Red River Floodway. I was just thinking, I wonder how big the Suez Canal is compared to the Red River Floodway. So I did some uh, I did some looking up on the magic of the interwebs, and the Red River Floodway is 47 kilometers in length, or 29 miles. The Suez Canal is 100 miles, or 162 kilometers long. The width of the Red River Floodway is almost exactly 100 meters. It's 333, uh, 330 feet wide. And the Suez Canal is almost exactly twice that, 200 meters, 656 in width. Now, the depth, that's where the big difference lies. Uh, nine meters or 30 feet at its deepest of the floodway, 78 feet or 24 meters for the Suez Canal. So there you, know you go. You know what's crazy about this, though? Two things that stand out, that the fact that that canal is only twice as wide as the Red River Floodway, so you can picture that, and then you think of all the goods going through it. And then incredible to me to consider that they built that canal canal in 1859 is when construction started like you know it was really not in operation until the late 1870s but my goodness 130 40 years ago that there were the brains to still construct yes. that back then whoo yeah it's I, I i i i i struggle to take a picture on my iphone <laughs> Do you have in your possession any precious family heirlooms? Or maybe it's not, like it doesn't have to be worth a lot you know, from a monetary position. Maybe it just means a lot to you. Sentimental value, whatever the case. Greg got a workbench that his grandpa made by hand. Brought it to his home over the weekend. And this thing is decades old. So he was giddy over the weekend as he was getting this into his garage. And now we are sharing your stories of the stuff that you have. So we've got three texts here. Loren's going to read the winning text. I'll read one of the runners up. And Greg, start us off. I will. A favorite keepsake is difficult to identify given that I am a world-class pack rat. Hey, welcome to the club. I have a garage that my car will not fit in. Is, is, is this purposely been picked for me no, i suspect I, I, no, it, I'm yeah not, i'm not mm-hmm. saying anything uh-huh okay i have a garage that my car will not fit in because of <laughs> all my stuff the one item that comes to mind is my dad's date apple my father passed away a few years ago at the age of 95 when my brothers and i were going through his stuff I saw <laughs> no stuff is in quotation marks. I saw his apple on his work desk. It is a small wooden apple with four cubes and has days of the week, numbers, and months. You rotate the cubes each day to change for today's date. Yes, keepsake it is important for me because every day when I change the cubes, I get to say hello to my father. The value of a keepsake has nothing to do with money, but the meaning. That it brings. Thank you so much for sharing that. Kristen texted us to say, My uncle worked for a local (laughs) aerospace company and built many incredible things from boats to planes. Their family didn't have a lot of money. So I have inherited handmade ladles and other useful items, but my most treasured piece is a giant 
cooking pot. The metal is three times as thick as the pots you see in stores. It cooks everything perfectly, and that heavy metal keeps it warm for hours. Added bonus, I could easily knock out any intruders with it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Thanks, Kristen. But our winner this morning uh, had some sentimental value to their text, and I think we all just really uh, cottoned on to it. Mark said that my wife lost her father when she was in her teens. For as long as I've known her, she has always held on to his old wooden antique desk. It was disassembled, and we were probably never going to get it out of the back of the garage. I ended up surprising her by having a coffee table made out of as much of this desk wood as possible. My friend Cody did the work and surprised us by adding in a hidden cribbage board within the coffee table, a game we all enjoy and my wife enjoy playing with her father. I love the work that he put into that. So, Mark, you are our winner this morning. Thank you for that. And he sent a picture too, the the desk, the coffee table, whatever you want to call it. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. We've gotten a lot of really neat pictures this morning. So thank you so much for sharing all this stuff. Uh, And good for you for having such ready ready access to this stuff, because I feel like this is the kind of thing that I might have in a box buried somewhere, like in the back of the closet, because I too am a pack rat. So thank you for your stories as always. It is spring break in Manitoba, but it is safe to say most Manitobans will be taking that break close to home. Staycations are the name of the game this year, Brett. And if you're looking for something to help keep the kids busy, then you might want to take some notes. Get it? Well, well played, <laughs> McNabb. From our next guests, Naomi Wu is the assistant conductor with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Good morning, Naomi. Good morning. Do you appreciate a good pun? Uh, sure. Give it to me. Uh, did you catch that one? Uh, I, Lorenz, I missed it. Oh, uh, Lorenz suggested that our listeners take notes from oh, our boy. next guests. <laughs> Naomi does not yeah. like it. She's not loving that pun. All right. All right. Well, let's check, check with Brent then. Brent Johnson is the education and community manager with the WSO. Brent, uh, one to ten. How was that pun? Well, I'm a big fan of dad jokes, so that ranked pretty high on my list. But <laughs> Thank seems like you. we've got a tough crowd here on a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep working on them, Brent. We'll keep working on them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, thank, thanks to both of you for spending some time with us today. Obviously a busy week. It's been a, a crazy year. Naomi, why don't we start with you? Mm. How have you been keeping busy over the past 12 months or so? Wow. Well, we've been really lucky at the WSO that we have been able to resume concerts. And so I have been keeping busy not only occasionally uh, standing on the podium and conducting, but also assisting with the wonderful live streams that we've been doing and learning a lot about cameras and video editing and how to make exciting digital content. Yeah, resuming concerts, but not with people in the audience, right? You're talking virtual. That you've been Okay, so how's how's that compare, Naomi? When you're conducting, you're, you still have the you still have the orchestra in front of you, but you don't have the audience behind you. So how do you adjust for that? Uh, it you know it's a process of adjustment as a conductor. The really nice thing is that we are always with other people, so it still is really collaborative. It still is really nice to have other people and other energy in the space. And one of the really nice surprising things is that we've been able to watch shows afterwards which normally we don't get the chance to do. Normally it's just over when it's over. And so there's been something really nice about being able to check out these videos afterwards. The fact that our audiences can watch them whenever they want or in their pajamas or over dinner. Uh, and also that they can chat along 
And so sometimes we get to really connect with people after the fact that maybe we wouldn't otherwise get to hear, hear what they thought and uh, get their feedback in real time. Brent, bringing music into the community obviously is uh, such a huge part of what you do. I mean, the, you, the, we've said it before, the couch potatoes have had the, the privilege of being a part of that and just seeing how powerful it is, uh, the gift that you bring into this community. Can you tell us about some of the digital classes and uh, learning opportunities that you've been providing over the last year? Yeah, we've done a number of different things. And I'll just reiterate what Naomi was saying about the good fortune that we've had to be able to uh, to do live streams. Because um, that having that technology in place and that infrastructure and, and all of that um, has opened a lot of doors in terms of education uh, as well. And I think that's probably going to be a part of our DNA going forward, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, because it means that we'll be able to reach student audiences, you know, beyond... Uh, a certain radius of the perimeter highway that we haven't been able to connect with before. Um, and, uh, and obviously there's no replacement for that live concert experience, but um, you know, we've done, we've done a number of things over the last year to try to engage, you know, support teachers and, and support students and engage students through virtual means. And um, so, you know, a number of smaller projects and we're heading into launching some bigger ones this spring that have kind of been percolating for a while. And we're very excited about uh, the opportunity that we received from the Safe at Home Manitoba program to put together this Manitoba Mosaic uh, virtual concert well, for Na- students. Well, Naomi, tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So this is uh, a revamp of concerts that we've previously done in the past for schools and families, uh, but presented in a totally new format. It is a fully pre-recorded set of four videos. Um, They're in four short 15 to 20 minute episodes and four, one for each of the seasons. Uh, And the, the episodes tell the story of my journey as a brand new Manitoban. I moved to Manitoba about a year and a half ago in the fall of 2019. So they tell the story of my journey as a new Manitoban learning about Manitoba, getting to know these four seasons that are a little bit different from the seasons that I grew up with in Vancouver, but in particular, getting to know each of these seasons through music, through art, through dance through song and through meeting, of course, the wonderful musicians of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra and a huge variety of wonderful artists across Winnipeg and across Manitoba. So, Naomi, what do you mean by that in terms of, you know, the connection between those four seasons and music? Give us an example of what we might see in this mosaic. Absolutely. So uh, one of the episodes, of course, is set in winter, um, being a season that that I had to really learn a little bit about here in Winnipeg. I had never really experienced winters like this before. So some of the ways that I warmed up my own winter through music were uh, engaging with one of my favorite winter holidays, which is Lunar New Year. And so to celebrate Lunar New Year, we watch some clips of Dragon Dance. I'm, I'm Chinese. My father's Chinese. And we also listen to a wonderful Chinese flute player, uh, Xiaonan Wang, playing the Dizhe, traditional Chinese flute, with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. At the same time, I learn about some of the festivals here in Manitoba in the winter. And so we have a visit from Festival du Voyage. And we watch the Ivan Flat Memorial Dancers doing the Red River Jig. Uh, and of course, because we've got some fiddling in the mix, we also get to hear some of our WSO players fiddling too. 
So that, that's sort of the kind of exploration that we're going on through music and dance and the seasons. Naomi, is it ever too late to learn how to play music? Oh, absolutely not. Like if I wanted to, I don't know. I always wanted to play the drums, but I never picked it up. I don't think my neighbors would care for that too much in my apartment. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, part of me thinks I can't teach an old dog new tricks. But is that if I ever decide that's something I should maybe look into, that's a good question. I mean, I think the great thing about the Internet is there's just so many resources and the resources are so tailored to exactly what it is you want to learn and why. You know, if you want to learn drums because you love Scott, like I'm sure there are YouTube channels upon YouTube channels just for that. Or if you want to learn piano specifically to play, you know, Justin Bieber songs for yourself, <laughs> I'm sure there's YouTube channels just for that. Oh. Right? I mean, it's amazing. Naomi, you know Brett so well. Yeah. I love the fact <laughs> that you mentioned Justin Bieber. Uh, Brett, before we let you run here, just the, the notion of this ability to connect with the community a little bit differently, trying to find the positives here. Uh, you know, we were mentioning just last week about how sport entities and sport leagues, one of the, their focuses with their marketing right now is and has been for a long time is getting to know the personalities behind the mask, the, the players, and mm-hmm. learning about what they do off the field. Is this an opportunity for Manitobans to learn a little bit more about the performers of the WSO and maybe to get some interesting camera angles that you don't get, obviously, if oh, you're yeah. sitting in the seats at the Centennial or at the, um, at the concert hall? Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that we've been able to do with this project is go into a higher level of detail uh, than we get to do with our live streams, uh, just because we had a bit more time uh, to put this together. So we do have cameras right on stage and you do get some close ups of musicians that, uh, you know, that was totally unique to this project. And so that's something that uh, people can look forward to. Uh, one of the other things that's been really exciting about this is uh, we've been able to, uh, Naomi mentioned this uh, in the winter episode, we've been able to work with quite a large number of guest artists. We have so much incredible musical and artistic talent in Manitoba, and we do normally highlight quite a, quite a few guest performers when we do these concerts in their in-person format, but we've been able to dive in even deeper uh, in this project and and engage even more of our local talent. And uh, we do get to hear some backstory uh, in ways that we wouldn't normally get to as well, uh, just thanks to the, the video format of this project. And, um, and so that's exciting as well. So Brent, Brent if people want to, sorry, Brett, if they just want to tune in, is it tomorrow or Wednesday it launches? It goes live Wednesday at one o'clock. And you can find this, uh, if you go to wso.ca, it's right on the homepage, or you can go straight to the program page at wso.ca slash Manitoba Mosaic. Brent Johnson is the Education and Community Manager. Naomi Wu, the Assistant Court Conductor with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, both joining us live on CJOB. Naomi, thank you very much. Thank you. And Brent, Wait. thank you, sir. Before Brent goes, he thank said you. he liked dad jokes. Brent, what was Beethoven's <laughs> favorite fruit? Oh, gosh. Banana. Oh, oh perfect. <laughs> Beautiful. Lovely way to end the segment. <laughs> Come on. Oh, gosh, there's a lot of good ones on there. I didn't know which one to go with. So, you know, next time I'll bring you on, I'll, I'll try a little harder. There you go. Thanks so much. <laughs> you mean that wasn't just at your disposal? You mean no, you didn't I have that one at up. the ready, so to speak? Oh, my gosh. There's some. What's an avocado's favorite music? 
guac and roll. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I can That's keep going, but good. I, I think us, I should stop. Give us one more. <laughs> Why do bagpipe players walk while they play? To get away from the noise. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.